what's happening, good folks? Yeah. Uh, welcome to uh, episode 180. Tonight we're talking Blue Ribbon School. Actually, it's not really Blue Ribbon Schools. We're talking Purple Ribbon Schools, but we'll say Blue Ribbon because, you know, that's, that's what y'all know. But we'll introduce y'all to the Purple Ribbon part of the show a little bit later. <laughs> um. So first and foremost, I want to jump in. And, Chris is uh, like, what is he talking about? I, I got no idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool. We'll get to it. Um. So I, I, I want to, uh, off of uh, Chris's tradition a couple of shows back, when uh, we're, we're talking about what are you learning, right? And so, Chris, I want to ask you, man, where you get that from? I get what from? So what are you learning? What, what did you learn this week? What, that whole thing. Where you get it from? Is that from organically school. through Chris? No. It, see, this is the problem with uh, with this is the problem with certain hue. People of a certain hue, uh, when they be part of things, sometimes they don't remember stuff. But we had talked a long time ago. We the way we started the show out. Where did you write this week? Because we were all writing at one post once upon a time. So I would write a, a post or an article, and Sharif would write one, and you would try to do one. Uh, you know, you know, like you know, we would all write something, right? And then uh, we got away from it. We stopped talking. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, anyways, so that's where I got it from, and I wanted to go back to it, but except for I changed it a little bit. What have you? What did you learn this week from something that you either wrote or that you read, studied, or experienced? Well, somebody got some crazy feedback happening. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to get through it, though. God is good. So, Reef, what have you learned this week based off of your readings, writings, teachings? Yeah, you know what? Being in, in South Carolina, man, I, you know, there were some things that I knew, but I learned about Burke High School, which was just, a, you know, a historic place. And then Charleston, South Carolina, had the opportunity to go on a Gullah tour, uh, you know, see Denmark Vesey's home, you know, uh, th those are the uh, big things. I think this is, here's what I learned, that it wasn't just, and I hope we can bring AJ on the, on Freedom Friday one day, Chris. Um, AJ's an educator down in Charleston. And so I knew the Citadel was built, you know, to like make sure white folks were ready to fight against any black rebellions. I didn't know that Clemson also had similar history. I did not know that, that the history of Clemson was also to make sure that folks were, um, you know, that they had that paramilitary to fight against um, black folks revolting against uh, enslavement. So that was, that was my learning, man. I know I'm, I did not know that about Clemson. Hey man, Clemson is still fighting against black folks. Man, you see Dabo Sweetie put, 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 putting out all this crap about black athletes and what they should not be doing. Man, they still policing black and brown bodies. So, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Uh, the saga continues. So, Chris, learn this this week, man. What's going on? Uh, don't worry, I, I, I'll come back to you. I have some learnings, right? I, I'm we teach in a moment here. Yeah, you, you have so, some learnings for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. Go ahead with your learning. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I want to hear yours. I didn't learn nothing this week. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I didn't teach you this week. So 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 this week, man. So 30 years, 30 years marks um the time and when I was 15 years old in high school, I got uh I got in trouble for uh for for uh having possessing uh crack cocaine in school. And so got uh you were 15? 15 years old, um doing things I had no business doing. And so, um, uh, third, uh, so, so got, got, uh, suspended out of school, St. Tammy Parish Public Schools. You were in seventh grade? 
We'll agree with nah. you. <laughs> I was a I was a sophomore actually. Ninth grade. Uh, grade. I got um got I got suspended out of school for a year, right? Mm. Uh no no uh alternative education. No mm. basically, yeah. No alternative uh, education was provided. Uh mm. and for me ultimately I had to move to New York in order to further my academic uh studies. And so 30 years later, uh we got the same thing happening in the St. Tammany Parish. We got um you know, uh, black boys that are being over policed um, uh, is a situation that just transpired in which the star of the football team uh, was dismissed off the football team. And I'm going to give you guys some background on the story so we can talk about it. So uh, he was late to class and mm. uh, apparently standing in the doorway or, or right at the doorway, white teacher uh, decided that she wanted to make it an issue, right? More than likely because, you know, this is a black, Young black man, star football player. If I could uh, assert my control over him, then the rest of the folks that are in the class are going to know that I have this class in command as well kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he has all kinds of emotions towards it and whatnot. He may have not reacted in, in a way that was that was most appropriate, right? But like we're not thinking about the triggers that are associated with why he made his decisions, right? Then, uh, you know, it, it, something happened in a group chat. Uh, the coach ends up getting a group chat in which, you know, the kid says, um, I hope she dies. Not because we see a lot of these kids out here talking about I'm going to kill her. Right. Mm -hmm. But like based off of his reaction, he was like, Yo, I hope she dies or I hope something happens to her. Something to that effect. Right. This goes all the way to the expulsion board. Right. They're trying to expel this kid out of school for having reactions to being triggered by something that was more than likely because I don't know this teacher personally, but something that was more than likely racist in this approach right and so my question to y'all is what what advice are, are, are we giving to uh to these to these educators to kind of have them uh fall back what, what did trump say stand down what... <laughs> uh, he said that to the proud boys though <laughs> yeah yeah so jack reef what's up man what we what we, what we talking to these educators about man Look, man. Well, two things. One, I mean, you talked about over policing, but you were talking about this situation. You weren't talking about like yeah. a crack in the classroom. Nah, nah. Oh, I okay, all right, all right. okay. <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute, like, uh, like we ain't we ain't condoning that. You know what I'm saying? So, nah, nah, nah. I should have uh, got what I got. But look, I mean, it's a redemption. Redemption, right? It's all about you know, um, and children make mistakes, and look at you thirty years later. You know what I mean? Um, being the leader that you are, and. I don't know about no alternative education for, you know, for a year, right. like they should have still, you know, but, you know, that being said, you know, I, I, I didn't even hear about this, but the whole, I think the whole power dynamic sometimes that not sometimes that often plays out that things could be really deescalated and handled differently. And we actually walk kids to, you know, just them blowing up, you know, and almost sometimes, you know, it, it, it's sad to say, Sometimes you see adults actually knowing, forget what triggers they have. They know what buttons to push, mm -hmm. right? And they use that, they manipulate children um, for them to, you know, instead of trying to deescalate, instead of trying to, you know, support them in getting, being able to make their best decision, you know? Um, you know, that's the sad part, right? Like when, when people aren't, you know, we often talk about children and their emotional, uh, you know, deregulation and, you know, challenges and stuff. Adults are the ones that have that uh, just as often, you know, when I see the adults responding or the adults pushing buttons, adults trying to have the last set, like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, 
you know, it's, it's a sad situation. You know, right. it's, it's, it's sad right. when you see that. Um, but it's it's frequent. Unfortunately, it's, it's frequent. And we, you know, this is a, this is another thing we gotta we have to also coach our young folks how to deal with people that may, yeah, push their trigger. Like that's that's part of what our our work has to be, right? The social emotional development, like yeah. that's part of the learning. Like, hey, people are going to pull push your buttons, and you know, my mom used to say, "Don't be a, anybody's puppet." Where they pull the string and you're reacting. And, you know, she used to coach that to me all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'll be the puppet. Pull that string. Here I come, right? And she was like. Don't be anybody's puppet. Don't let. Don't be so quick where they're pulling the string and getting you to react and respond. But it's hard as as a youth if you got and it's layered on other things. So, yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts? No, there is a book. There is a book. We put you in timeout. You still got feedback. Hey, yo, yo, listen. Hey, you remember feedback. the hell? I still got feedback. I still got feedback. Yes, you do. Hey, yo, it's really, it's really bad. Hey, it's kind of funny though. Remember, remember the hell he used to give me when I used to come on here. My Anchor used to be a McDonald's, bro. Like used to literally try to do the show for McDonald's. That wasn't cool. I mean, that was straight, like, that was, that was whack, bro. Like, you're like, hold on. And then you turn it. We're like, where are you? I'm in McDonald's. Like, they don't even have good Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes, they do. I was just like. Uh-huh. Hey, no, actually. Charles I ain't forget those like, days. Straws was in Dunkin' Donuts. But anyways, listen. So let, let me introduce these guests, man. So uh, first, the first guest that we have is the Kansas City Middle School Principal of the Year. He is also, he's the principal of Grandview Middle School located in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, our our guy, Dr. Vashon Smith. Let's go, Dr. Smith. And then our second uh, guest that we have tonight, also uh, two-thirds of the, one-third of the Engage podcast. Uh, we got Demetrius Ball. Who is the principal of a newly uh, a, a newly fermented uh, blue ribbon slash purple ribbon school, and also my fraternity brother from the Omega Sapphire fraternity in Crum- <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Y'all got an interesting there? wave, man. Hey, we, we, hey, we writing you them letters. All right, anyway. <laughs> so, so guys, y'all heard, y'all heard what was going on in the back, right? Oh, in in the background with regards to, uh, you know, these teachers that are now triggering kids and kind of pushing buttons or doing whatever. Like, what, what what's our message to these teachers? Because we, we got a lot of them that are on our staff. Well, I didn't quite hear a lot of what was going on in the background because there was some feedback or some mic, mic that didn't sound real good. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so, um, uh, no, so can I... Talk about what you talked about with the, you know, the teacher and the student down in Louisiana. So we had, we had a, a, a star athlete uh, being triggered by a teacher. Uh, what happened was the kid was late to uh, late to class. Uh, she was actually in the hallway, not even in the class. Uh, and then she gets to the class, calls him out, embarrasses him, uh, tries to make a scene or whatever. You know, I, I guess in order to make a make a point uh, to other students in the classroom or whatever, he he felt the way about it, reacted. Uh, then got into a group chat and was like, I hope she dies or whatever, you know, a, a reaction of a teenager. I'm pretty sure my son is like, I hope you die all the time when I'm on him. Right. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm just trying to gather, gather y'all's thoughts in terms of like, you know, how, how can we better uh, equip our teachers to deal with not having the last word? My question is, how did if, if, if she wasn't in the group chat, like how did the teacher find out that he said it like? How did that even come come to? How did it even come to light for the school to know that it was said in the group chat? 
so clearly somebody from the group chat uh probably turned it over to their parents in order to because like i, I i'm thinking that the majority of the uh student athletes that go to this school if it's the same demographics of of, of folks that that uh still go to the school in st Tammany parish majority are white um you know you the backfield quarterback a uh, couple of those people are black but majority of, of of the kids are white and so having those conversations with your parents and then you're like hey oh he said this Right. I'm pretty sure it's going to be real easy for a parent to be like, hey, give me that. And then I'm going to send this to the coach because I, I I secretly in my racist actions as a parent don't want this black kid getting all the shine on the team. You know how it happens, man. Oh, There's a lot of conjecture going on in this story. I might have to look it up. You know what I mean? To see it's what's not even it's a, it's a local story. It's not even national yet. This is why we bring it to the podcast and then it turns national. <clears throat> okay, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the question isn't really about the story. It's about how do we yeah. stop this from happening or, you know, to begin with or whatever. Yep. Um, and for me, I, I mean, I think, you know, every time we talk on our show and everywhere I go, it goes back to that relationship piece. You know, obviously that teacher didn't have the right kind of relationship with that student, um, which goes back to, you know, the hiring practices of the person that runs that building. And, you know, what are they modeling to allow that to kind of take place in their in their building? So, you know, I think that's where it all begins back. Like, who are the teachers that we have standing in front of our kids on a daily basis, no matter if it's a white or a black school? And are they there for the right reasons? Um, so I think that's where the, it all begins from that point um, in that conversation of, how do we make sure that that person is never in front of that student to do that or have that? And I'm just figuring out how somebody being late goes all the way to being exposed. When what he said in the group chat to me had nothing to do with the learning environment. It didn't disrupt the learning environment or anything like that. They're not pretty sure. And I can go back and look, but there's a court case uh, that just went to the Supreme Court about that, about stuff being put out on social media and group chats um, and, you know, taking the students freedom of speech away and things like that there that cannot, shouldn't be a hindrance of them getting an education. Yeah, hey, hey, you go on principal Kefeli, and I and can't nobody tell you nothing, man. You're here sounding all crisp, man. I, I feel it. Uh, ball, what, <laughs> what, what's happening? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, are very similar. I think it goes to us uh, just honoring the, the kids that we're in front of each and every day and, and not taking this idea that we are the person, we're the one that has to lord over uh, all of our students and just see them as humans. And, you know, they make mistakes and, and, and I, I've had this interaction as well. Like we got to realize we're dealing with kids. We're not dealing with grown adults. We're dealing with kids and kids, you know, they respond, they react real quick and we have to be the adult in the situation and just slow things down. And if we're there for the right reasons, that should be something that we can do. Just yeah. seem like a coaching, like a, a conversation, right? Like it's a, <laughs> it's a coaching opportunity. Kid said, oh, I hope you die. Like, all right, it's a, it's a conversation. It's inappropriate. You have a conversation, <laughs> right? Like, it's just. Uh, hey, Bar, are you back at West Point tonight? <laughs> you're, you're back at right. West Point. <laughs> In the barracks. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to roll what you got. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 uh, so, Smitty, man, middle school principal of the year. Talk to us about that, man. How, wh what are your thoughts in terms of like, you know, what what evolved into you receiving uh, this award? What are the things that you're doing? What are some of the best practices that you're trying to uh, 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 give to other principals that are that are doing the work? Uh, for me, it, it just goes back to authentic leadership and leading, you know, from who you are, not trying to put on some cape or some cloak, um, but being authentic to yourself and your leadership. Um, you know, all my leadership. And my school priorities are first based in relationships, uh, making sure that I'm first modeling what those relationships look should look like between, you know, students 
and teachers, teachers and parents, um, really being that first person to always be out in front um, for the, the school, whether, you know, especially when it comes to taking those bullets from the criticism that we get. Um, but really relationships is the first thing. And then it's being an instructional leader. That's one of the things that I, I stand on um, anywhere that I go. Um, is really making sure that the principal is an instructional leader and we are leading the instruction of our building, not just managing the building, but really pushing for student achievement. And then my, my, my bit is saying, or my quote is, we're all about doing what student, uh, we're all about student needs, not adult wants. And that's the thing I think that cripples a lot of schools. They're more worried about the adult wants and not the student needs. Yeah. And so Chris, man, I, come, coming back to you, because I know you were, uh, uh, you know, experiencing some challenges. What, what, <laughs> what, 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 what are your thoughts in terms of like uh, uh, centering uh, student needs? Because, you know, a lot of adults, you know, we'd be out here capping for these adults. So what, 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 what's your advice? So hopefully I don't sound like I'm a robot anymore. No, nah, you're good. Okay, good. All right. Um, so what I was about to say last time was there's this book called Who Not What? And the book talks about uh, the way that you get things done and you figure out problems is you know who to talk to rather than trying to figure out the what of your problem. So you can give me a problem around how to center kids in schools. I don't run schools, but this is like a good topic for tonight when you're talking to people who run Blue Ribbon schools who have possibly figured out how you get teachers to be more responsive, who have probably figured out how you um, organize discipline in a building so that it's fair, but so that it's consistent throughout the entire you know, school day, school year or whatnot, and everybody knows what the rules are and, and how things work. So we should be talking to more people who are the who, like the who should we talk to? And when we talk about policy, politics, uh, politicians, passing laws, we should always be making sure that we're interjecting into that discussion, not just successful educators, but definitely successful educators who, educators who are successful with the kids that the majority struggles with the most. And that's not happening right now. So we're having all kinds of conversations about what should happen, what, what do you think about schools, what should teachers do or whatnot. And oftentimes people chime in, especially on Twitter, lots of teachers chime in. And oftentimes when I go and check out the school that they represent, and I'm not talking about like physically, I just mean like checking out their school, they are not the who. There are so many people, including me and others, who are not the who of this. So we have good guests tonight, I think, to talk about this. But let me add my old man routine to your thing. And I don't need the full screen for this. Get me off the full screen. I won't be on the full screen. Because I, I want y'all to take some of the heat for this. What I knew I'm that was right now. So, so when you talk about the story like in, in Louisiana that you're talking about, yeah. lots of things can be true. And this is the one thing I'm going to say. Our instinct is to say, this is what the teacher should have done better or this is what this one person should do better. There is a 360 assessment of any situation that you're ever in. And there is probably a lot of things you can say that everybody should be doing better. We need yeah. to teach our kids how to do school, right? This is something that old man, get off my lawn is gonna tell you right now. We need, <laughs> teach, we need to teach some of our kids how to be schooled and how to do school and have all the power of a fully grown student in that school to know their rights, their role, the, how to play the game, whatever it is that we need to teach them about doing school. We need to teach parents and we need to teach community members and principals and everybody else. So you can say all you want about what this one teacher should have done in this one situation whatnot, but a lot of this yeah. should be true. You have a lot of teachers that are not doing what they're supposed to do. You have lots of students who are acting up like crazy 
like situations yeah. that like like we can sit here and talk all night. There's gonna be educators who are listening to us who will be like, yeah, y'all never gonna talk about the real deal. There's stuff that goes on during the day that y'all not gonna talk about because y'all talking about all this, you know, like you know, kind of social justice way of seeing the situation. No, Ankrum talked about what he did. That, he, know, was out, you know, he was out. He was out of pocket. Know. Yeah, yeah, hey, hey, and I and, and I own it, right? But so, but so yeah. here, here's what I would have liked to see in, in my hometown of Covington, Louisiana, right? So things happen, but never does the community coalesce behind students, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we always think about our own individual child instead of empowering these kids to start a movement. So mm -hmm. if if this kid was like a special player and a special part of this team then none of those black players should still be on that team. And it goes back to what Reef was saying in, in South Carolina about the community coming up with the consequence for these students, as mm -hmm. opposed to we just allowing uh, school boards and people that are in positions to make these decisions be the only factors that are making these decisions. Reef, I wanted you to jump in here, man, because that was a pretty powerful thing you said in South Carolina. One of the only things that you said that had power. <laughs> Listen, everybody gets one one moment to shine, right? I don't even know, remember uh, what I said, but uh, based off of that, I what, what I and I and I agree with Chris, and I I agree with everything I said. Like it's it's all these different angles, you know, for all of this. Um, and anytime something like this happened, my first, my really my first instinct is is what is school culture, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how how do how do children, how are they coached to advocate for themselves? Like we literally used to say, talk to them about how did you advocate? Well, I did, not mm -hmm. okay, what's another way to advocate? Like we would actually teach them that word and what it looks like to advocate for yourself. And that no, adults weren't always right. Sometimes they would respond in a the moment. They're trying to manage, you know, 20 something other uh, children that they're responsible for their safety. They're out here in the hallway trying to manage transition. You know, there's a, always a whole lot of things that you're kind of looking at to see how do you manage, you know, because I agree. Sometimes people are talking, I hear people talking crazy about super woke stuff and I can tell they can't even manage, you know, two children, let alone 30 children, you know, mm -hmm. but they're saying like, well, this, and this should happen and that should happen. And this is a, like, how have you managed anything? No. Yeah, okay, then like then, then just I, I get the philosophy, but we got we got so many um you know just theoretical experts and not enough practitioners and executors leading conversation. Now mm -hmm. we definitely need practitioners and, and uh, executors to be conscious, to be student-centered, to understand human growth and development, to have a, a, a just lens, you know, as they're looking at things, um, you know, to do all of that. So I, I I don't, I, Ankrum, I think what you were saying was talking about like how I was saying like involve the communities and things like that mm -hmm. in these kind of uh, meetings. I, I don't know if, if most schools are at the point of just saying like, hey, community, what should happen? This kid just said that, right? <laughs> like, I don't think most <laughs> schools are in that type of situation to be able to have that conversation, right? Like, but what they if they were? Have... But what if they were, though, Reef? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, when people talk about restorative, that's yeah. actually what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be like, community members like I, I remember having we, we used to have disciplinary hearings and sometimes the advocate would be the pastor yeah, at facts. the church yes yes right like we're literally yeah. we would invite them to the conversation and say like and part of it is like you know even the, the person that was harmed like okay how can we men it was all and, and i think you know both the principals said it it was all about relationship we were always talking about all right we need to repair the relationship 
kid cussed the teacher out. All right, you know, at the end of the day, you have a consequence. And what are you going to do to repair the relationship? Do you need coaching? Do you need us to sit with you while you do it? You need some coaching? You want to practice with me? Like we were, this was all day long. We're having conversations with youth about, hey, repairing and, and adults too. Like, listen, maybe you were a little emotional about, uh, you know, about that, right? Like maybe, you know, where there's something else where you already, were you exhausted and this happened? Cause I saw, I saw somebody do that the other day. You didn't respond that way. What, and you know, most of the time the adults, when they come to you're like, yeah, you know what? I was actually a little harried in my last class and I was trying to get there and I was trying to rush over it and I was trying to get this lesson. And then they'll respond. And then they, you know, to watch youth and adults talk things out, hmm. especially because you're late to class, like, I mean, like, come on, like, like if that's, if, even if just that part is true, late to class and it escalated and the kid said, I hope you die. Like, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't, you know, and some people are super sensitive, man. I, I don't know if I would be all. Super you know, sensitive. If a kid said, I You're hope Mickey dies, I'm die. sure, kids, listen, I'm sure kids have said that. Like, yo, I hope Bro. he died. You know what I mean? I, like, I've heard adults say that. Like, what the, like, I don't care. Listen, my yo. time is already written, Joker. That's probably what I would have said, like, you know what? You ain't got no. You ain't got nothing to do with that. My time is written. It might be an hour from now. It might be fifty years from now. You ain't got nothing to do with that, young boy. Yeah, I mean, I only kept it yeah. moving. Like, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> don't want to go to none of y'all school. Hey, 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 yo, hey, hey, no. I hope you die. All right. Actually, actually, man, <laughs> one you, day you you want you definitely want to go to ball school. So, ball, man, listen. So, I I see people that uh they they got blue ribbon schools back in two thousand and five. And they still got it on their on, on their thing, Blue Ribbon School, right? So like that's <laughs> definitely something that people aspire mm. to, even if your school was good the uh, decades ago, right? Mm. So you, uh, man, new just happened. Uh, you're not even the, uh, the leader of that school anymore. So walk me through like what 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 made it great, man? What made the experience great to where it's Blue Ribbon? You know, I actually have to to lean in on the previous principles that really lay the foundation. Uh, so I was a I'm the fourth I was a fourth principal uh, at Iron Horse Middle School here in San Ramon, California, and I think from the very beginning, Kirby Hoy, who opened the school up 26 years ago at this point, um, just laid a foundation and, and built and uh, hired some really strong teachers. And uh, there are several that are still there, but I think the bottom line is uh, our teachers are uh, experts in what they do. Uh, they are, uh, they, they know their content, they know students, uh, they know how to work with middle school students and they know, know how to work as a, as a team, as a community. I think the staff and just the unity that they had built over the years really helped me, you know, come in because I, I came in uh, 1920 was my first year and we had a solid foundation and then we transitioned into the, into the pandemic. I think we have a community of students and families that are high achievers like you know I, I think i said this uh i said this quite often about our community our, our students are going to be successful in spite of us because of us all those types of things like if, if it were different folks in the uh in the school they, they might still have the same successes but i think having strong teachers that are content experts that know pedagogy that know the community that are there for the students and just have built really really strong programs and you know i came in and just with my leadership style as far as building relationships and keeping the focus on communicating and pe uh, including folks in the decision making. I grew uh, with that 
throughout my time there. But I think, um, you know, our, our kids, for the most part, did really well during the pandemic. And so that gave us opportunity uh, to, we won uh, uh, California Distinguished School in 2021. Again, really strong academics, really strong culture. And then we, we kind of changed our mission statement um, to um, the mission of the school being uh, to educate, inspire, and empower students in a safe and equitable learning environment. And, and I, and that is carrying on today. So uh, the, the students know it, the, the families know it. Uh, I was out there, you know, always communicating, always out front. And I think that those things just uh, coalesced into us having the opportunity to apply for the Blue Ribbon and then actually receiving it. So we just found out on Friday, uh, I'm, I'm super juiced. And as you know, as you said, you know, I left at the end of last year and I'm at the high school actually that we feed into. Uh, and uh, super blessed to have uh, Marissa Norris as the, as my assistant principal, and she was hired as the principal. So she is doing amazing things, continuing. She, I mean, she's she's her own leader, and she took some of the things I was doing, and she's improved upon it. And so, you know, I'm still part of the community because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a parent. Uh, I've got an eighth grader and a sixth grader there, so I'm I'm still part of the Iron Horse family, and it's just a joy to see that we continue to grow and continue to move forward and get better for our students and for our community. Yeah, man, thanks for blessing us with that. Hey, listen, so, hey, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different kind of thing, and this, is, this ain't no shout at Reef, but when you're a principal and you got your own kid in that school, man, hey, it hit different. Yeah, I feel like you sure. care more sure. and somebody like Reef. You, you just care. say it's no, you just, you just say that there's no shot at me. So you nah. just say that <laughs> it sounds like a shot, and no, my kids ain't go to my school, and I don't care. Like, no, oh, yeah, when somebody starts a sentence like that. Exactly, it's, you already it's, know. It's, yeah, you know what? It's like, no shot at Reef. Yes, it is. I don't mean to be offend you. Oh, here comes that fence. <laughs> here it comes. Yeah. yeah. See, what had happened was... Uh, <laughs> Listen, every I believe in, in choice, best fit, best school opportunities, and every kid can't handle the pressure of their... Uh, parent being the the principal. I, I know some of my kids could have, some didn't, and that's what choice is all about: finding the right spot. But I'm, I'm, but also I shout out folks that have their kids, um, you know, go there. And like Demetrius, your kids probably actually want to go there. You know, Ankrum's kids go went there under duress. They didn't want to go. He, he dragged <laughs> them in the car, took he them there him. every day. Like there's a big he difference. You know what I'm saying? You going to my school? You know what I'm saying? Like right. very different, very yeah. different. Reeb, trust me when I say this, I wish, and I sometimes have the same uh, thoughts as you in terms of like, if she was going to this school right down the street, the amount of pressure that's on me wouldn't be the same amount of pressure. It's like when you, it's like you, when you have your kid in your school, it's like you, there's certain things that you just won't tolerate because it's like, oh, I'm not tolerating this for my school. So then therefore it kind of, it, 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 it transcends. It's like, all right, well, I'm not going to accept this for no kid because I know I wouldn't accept it for my own kid. So it's a different you kind of what? pressure. Let yeah. me put you on the spot, Mr. Ankrum. Mr. Ankrum <laughs> in the house. Blah, blah, blah. I saw pictures of your school recently. Yeah. yeah. And you got a high school? Yeah. You yes, a, okay. So you got a new high school. Look nice. It looks yeah, really man. nice in there. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. Nothing mm. broken. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. It's got sunlight. It like, you got sunlight in your school. Wow, you got real chairs that have like different colors and stuff, and the kids look well dressed and happy and mannerable or whatnot. It's not like you're teaching that. It's not like you're teaching that coolie high, right? 
so 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 talk about oh my kids go to my school. It's not like mm. you in some part of <laughs> Detroit where they got rats falling out the ceiling or nothing. No, Your school's I'm, nice. Your school yeah. is nice. Now, what if you got hired mm-hmm. to be like one of them movies, like you know, uh Joe, Joe with his name with the bat or something Clark, like Joe that? Joe Clark, lean on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah what if you yeah. get hired as lean on me principal? Yeah, you gotta so I, come I, in. See, Reef yeah. came and turned the school around. Yeah. Reef when Reef came into uh Schumacher or whatever, it was like it was a different school. And he had to do the Joe Clark thing. I mean, I, I hear that Reef was actually like knocking kids out. His first couple of days without a bat, without uh, <laughs> like, without, without all of that, you know, what I mean? like with words, it's funny that you should mention that, right? Because, like, my school started when I first took over my school, but we had two trailers, right? So, like, it wasn't mm-hmm. like this, it wasn't mm-hmm. this building or whatever, it was it was something that you know, through fiscal responsibility, in terms of like. You know, Don't sound like a Republican? Fiscal responsibility. This is why. You know, I, I believe in conservative spending, and that's how I go in from trailer to beautiful school. Well, the rest of y'all need to do that, too. Austerity. We're only going to have one fly toilet paper from now on. One fly. That, that, that's why I wasn't here last week. <laughs> hey, but, but, but so, I, I, honestly, man, I, I think I'm fortunate because, you know, I, I to be a, a leader in this position, to be able to make the decisions to to to, to offer kids a, a better learning environment, man, that's 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 being that's being in a blessed situation because I remember teaching in Baltimore City and not having the resources. I remember teaching in Harlem and not having the resources, and it's like you had to overly love these kids because you didn't have the resources in order for them to be in their happy space, right? And it goes yeah. back to it goes back to what I what, what I always say about you know what would have happened if it was separate but equal. We would possibly have a different level of love for a lot of stuff. But Smitty, jump in here, man. How are the resources at Grandview and how you make it work? Uh, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, we we don't have an issue with resources. Like you said, it's it's a blessed situation to be in because I have been in different places and districts where um, we were using textbooks that were, you know, 10, 15 years old and things like that. And they was pasting pages in of new presents because they were, the books were that old. So um, we have definitely been blessed at Grand Middle School to have, you know, a, a central office that has been able to provide us with the resources we need, um, plenty of community backings, my um, community partners um, that we, you know, are partnered with around the city definitely step in whenever we have a, you know a shortcoming or something that we can't use school resources to get for our students so we are definitely blessed to have the resources that we need um with, with the big thing though is making sure that those resources are used equitably across the student populations within the building um it's mm-hmm. one thing to have resources but making sure once those resources hit the building that every kid is given the equal opportunity to have access to those resources which i think um sometimes we don't really discuss enough about you know a lot of money might be coming into a school but if the kids with the most needs getting, you know, the resource they need to make that happen. So whether it be, you know, in our building, our ELL population or our spare population, uh, making sure that those kids are getting the things that they need. So um, kind of to highlight that there, we were able to hire, you know, a fifth special education teacher because our numbers have been growing. We've been able to hire this year a second ELL teacher because, you know, we were bumping up against 15 percent of our student population being ELL students. So um, it's one thing to have the resources, but putting those resources in the right place is a whole nother discussion. Yeah. And so and so ball, it's a little bit different for you because y'all got resources and y'all y'all got damn near like a booster club. Y'all got people out here raising a lot of money for you. So how, how does how does that work for you? 
Yeah, I tell you, it is uh, really interesting out here because I've taught in a lot of different areas and um, the funding here, you know, we get a certain amount from the district, certain amount from the state and those types of things. And then our parents uh, donate so much money. It is really interesting. Um, at the middle school, uh, we had uh, about uh, seven sections of classes that parents donated money for. So we would have smaller classroom, smaller class sizes. And at the high school, it's about double that, 14 to 15. And it's really interesting about, uh, you know, but we still have those, those same challenges with the money that we get from the state and the district. How do we allocate those resources? And we, and we have a lot of shortcomings because again, we're in a, we're in a place where for the most part, our families uh, don't want for anything, but we do have those students that do have uh, significant needs, whether it's special needs, whether it's uh, um, second language or multi-language uh, learners uh, to give them the resources, give them the teachers that they need. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge for us to make sure that we have all of those in place. And we have a, a couple schools that really focus on those things, but overall we, we need to do a much better job of that because again, we, we live in a community where we have the haves and the haves want to have what they want to have. And if their student isn't a part of that population specifically, um, th those resources don't necessarily go to that. So it's, it's part of my job and part of our job as educational leaders to make sure that we're doing the right thing, getting the supports, whether it's a um, special education teacher or um, uh, support staff in the classrooms to help uh, the, the experiences of our students with those specific needs. Yeah, thanks for that. You're, you're so, public schools? Yeah. Yeah, we're a public school. So your public school and parents are able to subsidize or fund yes. additional educational opportunities, including FTEs? Including FTE, yes. I mean, well, goddamn. Chris, did you not hear him say? Did you not hear him say the haves get the have what they have? That's a lot of bread. The FTE fundraising so for FTE. So they fundraising for FTEs in a public school. And those are those. That's full time that's, employee. That's like that's hefty. That's a line item. That ain't no joke. Hundreds of thousands. It's. I've never seen anything like it. I don't want to get you in trouble because listen, if that if the gravy train is rolling that direction, I want you to keep getting what you're getting. But we do need to have a realistic conversation of what it looks like in a country that has a common schooling system for all kids. But that system is predicated on being able to interject privatized expectations uh, for some and not for others, right? Like, I want another Spanish teacher. I want you to offer French next year, so let me help you get a French teacher, right? Uh, you know, I, I want kids to have bands, so let me get you an award-winning band teacher, uh, artisan residence from, you know, mm. the Philharmonic or something. Well, now all of a sudden, the democratic education school system that is supposed to serve all equally without regard to their zip code, their background, their family's educational status or whatnot. Uh, it's one thing when I heard Dr. Smith talk about, like, the money that we get, we have to make sure that it's used equitably within the building. And then it has to be used equitably. But what if you're dealing with the supplemental money also? Like school A and school B, I'm sure there's a school not far from you somewhere, maybe three miles, five miles from you, that doesn't have the same half situation that you have. I don't know where you're at, so I don't want to talk like I know. But I do you, know. You, you know where I'm at. You know yeah, San Ramon, California. You know where I'm at. I, I just I, There's always a school that's only not that far away from one of these schools that I visit that have all this stuff. And it's funny, sometimes the kids play football with each other. They get to see what the other has going on. 
So you will send a kid from school A to school B and all of a sudden they'll see like world-class facilities or, you know, like something. And it leaves in their mind a message. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worth what these other people work. Well, the blog, you know, the system is rigged. The system's not real. Or I deserve what I got. I deserved a little I got. It must be something about me that's, or my community. That part. This is that all part. I deserve. That part, Reef. And I don't know how you stop it because you can't stop parents with money, with means, from wanting to donate. I do know in some places, and this is going to be very unpopular what I'm about to say, there had been this thing, it was, this was a long time ago, where school districts were trying to pool the money that parents gave at the more Tony schools and put it into a pool that would be distributed distributed uh, uh, fairly across schools. How and I think that, that I, I was about to say, I think that died real quick. I think that was really <laughs> they, they, they don't want taxes to go to do that. So how, they, how I can't even see how that would play out, man. <laughs> it was like something with the PTAs. They wanted to make sure that the PTAs, all the PTAs, were, were yeah, were pooling their money across. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, the but, people who were like. I don't give ten thousand dollars to my school for it to go into a somewhere pot. else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can't see that flying. So, but so, so then the question becomes, right? So, like, what, what is happening at, at these under-resourced schools? Right, it's pretty. It's going to be pretty hard to have a PTA that 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 does much. But everybody should be doing something, right? So it goes back to that argument of everybody can do a little, right? And if everybody can do a little, then that starts to, you know, and so what? What are we? Because I, damn man, I always feel like when we have these conversations, man, we talk about the inequities and we talk about like black parents and what, what where black kids are not getting, we punching down. And I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel, I want to leave here feeling like I'm uplifting folks, like I'm, I'm giving folks the, the 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 right path in order to be able to um, advocate for their kids. And so, man, I don't want y'all to think that we punching down at y'all. I just want y'all to understand that your kids deserve better. And like every time they go into these schools. That don't love them, as Charles would say. Um, like they need to be, they they deserve to be in schools that love them. They do. Man. They understand that. You think so? I know so. I'm tired of talking about our parents. Like they need to be educated. They don't know certain things or whatnot. They 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 know that they're getting a raw deal. They also know that nothing has changed for a long time. It's like if after 400 years you haven't figured out that you're getting a raw deal, and you keep saying, "Oh, we're getting a raw deal. We're getting a raw deal." There's some people that have moved on. Yeah, that's life. All our systems are jacked up. It's not, we're not just getting a raw deal with our school system. Uh, our streets are the last to get swept. Like our streets are the last to get snow removal. Our, our you know, like our city service, it takes police longer than when you call them to come to certain neighborhoods, right? Like the people who live underneath that regime understand that the regime, what the regime is, but they just don't feel like, it feels like there's only so much you can do about talking about it after a period of time before you just assume that's the way the world works. This is the way it is. Yeah. This is the crappy services like that we have. So go ahead. Ray, on our last show, when I talked about the situation that happened here in Kansas City at one of the high schools here, um, and everybody tried to jump on the school and the principal and the staff, and I'm like, you can't blame them. That, what happened at that school is a reflection of the community. And so if you're going to blame the, the principal and the staff, you need to blame the mayor, you need to blame the civic leaders, all those people who have forgot about that community and made them less than, and for, that's the reason why that's put place. So we are, I feel like the school gets the bad rap because I guess we're the, you know, the one that, that, that the light is already shined upon. But a lot of times it's the community that the school is reflecting. We're just a reflection of what's in our community. So we are trying to do the best we can with what we got. Um, but if we don't have the right people who are making those big, bigger decisions, whether it be the school board, whether it be the city council, whether it be state government, like 
you can't always put the, the, the blame back down on the school if you're not blaming the people that's handling the money and the policy that's making the school do what they have to do. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm like with, uh, with Chris said, like parents are doing the best they can. Like I, I'm a firm believer when a, a parent sends me their student, they send me the best they got. They ain't keeping the good ones at home. Like they, they ain't holding them in the closet. Like they send me the best one they, they best they got. So I'm going to do what I can to elevate that kid to the next level. And we have to recognize that a lot of our parents that we have their kids in our schools have trauma from schools themselves. You know, Facts. school was a traumatic situation for them. So they are not going to be a partner with you because they knew what it was like when they were in their K-12 education. So if we really want to try to change that, we first have to go to that parent and help understand their trauma and talk to them and help them deal with that and then partner with them instead of always blaming them like it's their fault when they, their parents were blaming. Now we just we just reciprocate the cycle that they've already been in. Now we're well, getting to the show. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's really important too. Like, I, I mean, I'm trying to remember if our PTA, you know, I mean, they they would do things right, like it was, but it wasn't. I mean, they weren't raising enough for like an FT or anything like that. But I, and I, I don't think that's what we were even asking them for. Like, you know, I, I got to, I had the pleasure to be able to uh, have dinner with the principal that hired me as a teacher 30 years ago. You know, but, I wanted to talk to him for making that mistake. Yeah, they, you know what? He wouldn't think it was a mistake, and you don't either. But anyway, <laughs> you know, like, and, and think about like how they develop me into a teacher. Not once did they say like, "Oh, this is what you need to have parents do. This is how you need to hold." You know, the language I hear now today about you know parents and they need to be accountable that never crossed. Like, I don't, I don't ever remember hearing anybody talking like that in my development as a teacher. And so for me, it's like really interesting to hear so much conversation about how parents need to be accountable and what they need. And I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm saying like just the language and how people, what, what they develop in is like how to be an effective instructor, how to communicate with families, how to build relationships, how to, and of course, some of that I was bringing to me, you know, to the school as well, um, you know, from just from my background and experience and worldview. Uh, but it, it's, it's like really interesting. Like sometimes I hear uh, people, the way they speak about parents is very different than how I heard parents being, um, you know, spoken about. And not that every parent, you know, had a great relationship or experience, but it was it was very, very different. Um, and, you know, even when I got to uh, and you hear a couple of things, you hear messages from educators sometimes in schools telling kids, get your education and get out. And what they're saying, and if they, if you can say that, if you can fix your lips to say that, that means you're revealing something of like how you view where the kids are coming from, who they live with, who raised them, who loves them. Um, and all of that has, has just messages going, going across and it reverberates throughout, you know, um, you know, throughout their educational system. And families also hear that. They feel that, you know, if, if I feel like, you know, that kid shouldn't really be with you. As, a, as an educator, and I'm saying that to, you know, to families in different ways, like that, they, they feel that they experience that. And so I, I would just say, like, one of the things is just understanding, you know, um, you know, what families, what the partnership could actually look like. And I got so many people who aren't perfecting their craft, but they want to tell parents how to how to be better parents. And to me, that's just there's there's a miss there. There's a miss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, bro. 
Um, Can I add on to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I think one of the things that I see, and not just in my current school or a couple of past schools, I think it's easy for, to base um, your opinions on parents on the ones that are the loudest, and in the schools as as principals teachers, we just go based on those assumptions and we assume that parents have, um, you know, they have negative thoughts about us as a school or they're not doing the best that they can or they want certain privileges without taking the actual time to build those relationships and make those connections. I've had, you know, a couple of situations recently where it's just like, slow down, take the time, make a phone call. Don't go back and forth on email based on what you're, what you're assuming is going on. Don't be exact. Don't be that, you know, don't have those Twitter fingers or whatever it is on the email. <laughs> Take the time, make the phone call. It, you know, what, what you've been going back and forth over over two days could be done in two minutes. If you just humble yourself and say, hey, I, I want to understand what's going on. Maybe I'm misinterpreting or maybe I don't understand. And ju just humble yourself and, and, and take the time that's needed. Yeah, but you're you're asking for a humility that 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 may or may not exist. And so, and, and, and Smitty, man, you touched on something um, that that we had talked about uh, in in our in our previous show and in, in our live show in, uh, in in South Carolina about the uh, the lived trauma that uh, that some of our parents have gone through in terms of like how they view the education system, right? And so, Chris, I know you live with some trauma that you went through in terms of like you know you your edu education system, K-12, Louisiana, and, like, all the places that you went. Like, how do you then, like, not walk away from it, but use it as a tool in order to advocate for your kids? Because I know that their experiences are a little bit different than yours. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Brother. These spoiled little heathens walking around here with iPhones and stuff. Man, come on. Stop it. Um... So, so I would not have said the words educational trauma at one point in my life to describe what had happened uh, in my schooling years because I wouldn't have known to say that. That wouldn't have been the language I would have used. Uh, and it took a long time, I mean, many, many years before I would start even using ty any type of language to diagnose my situation. Everything changed for me when I became a father and I had to start making decisions and the decisions were on me and I was young. I was young, I was undereducated. I didn't know a, a ton about the system. Uh, a lot of it was uh, like, you know, I'm getting feedback, man. I don't know what, what is, it, is it me? Um, anyways, I think that becoming a father and having to make the decisions myself was the point at which I started saying, okay, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot that I didn't learn while I was in school. I'm not an expert at this. Um, and that, that's, you know, that was the turnaround for me. I didn't work out my own issues in the beginning. And all I was trying to do was survive kindergarten mm -hmm. and first grade and second grade and do a good job and not feel embarrassed mm -hmm. and go to meetings and show up to things where I was going to feel embarrassed uh, or have people talk above my head. And, you know, me at the time feel very much like I was this big, you know, and, and uh, whatever. Uh, but little by little, I started seeing myself as an adult learner about the situation. Okay, we did a good job in kindergarten. Now first grade, what am I supposed to learn? What do I need to know? And, you know, talking to teachers, talking to educators who were involved, you know, talking to friends, family, talking to other people that were like more successful than I was with their own kids, started developing me a confidence 
that I hadn't had before, right? Like even to think of myself as an intellectual person, capable, uh, uh, that was new. Like I had to really think about like, like, you know, I got some things to learn. And at a certain point, I stopped being like the victim of the school system who experienced educational trauma and never had had like a teacher. I can't name a single teacher. Now, a fourth grade teacher, as it turns out, is a Facebook friend of mine. And I always forget about that. Uh, uh, <laughs> anyways, I'm not going too far into that story, but she remembers me now differently than our situation was, way, you know, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> which is good i mean you know that's growth right that's, that's growth <laughs> i guess i guess that's growth uh but my only point in saying all that is to say uh i didn't spend a lot of time saying i was i had a traumatic educational experience uh-huh. what should i do about that or whatnot no i was mad about some things I, I took offense to some things and some meetings and some stuff with the schools and whatnot. But the bottom line was, we just got to get the kid to the next grade. We just got to get him to the next year. And we survived last year. We're going to survive this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that, I don't know, that's kind of triggering for me, man. That whole, like, survival thing. Like, we shouldn't have to go through the system and just have to survive. Yeah, I feel we, like should. we should. Be able to, nah, we should be able to go through the system and be able to flourish, not just survive. Like, it We did be, flourish. My kids flourished. They flourished. They did flourish. <laughs> they did, because I was militant as hell. I was militant as hell. I mean, hella militant. I was the... See, you got two school leaders here on here right now? Yeah. We can be friends now, because my kid ain't in your school. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I imagine you would be the type of brothers, as leaders of a school, that would work with... If, if you have a Black man that shows up and wants to do right, but doesn't know everything, that you would be kind of supportive. Uh, not everybody is that way. Some people are like, you're pestering me. I don't have time for this or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that creates a bad relationship. I imagine looking at y'all that that would not be the situation. Well, so let's, let's, let's talk about it, man. Let's dive into it. So Smitty, a parent comes to you, a black, a black uh, male parent comes to you, doesn't really know ways through the system, but has the best of intentions. How are you coaching them up? Like, what are you, what are the things that, that uh, we want this, this, this parent to see and do? I think first of it, it, it starts with the approach, um, you know, like my grandmother used to say, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So I think a lot of times, I mean, I can think of like three three fathers in my head, right off the top of my head that I've had encounters with just in the last school year to the beginning of this school year, who all of their approaches have been different and how they come to me re- regarding issues their kids were having in the building. Um, and just really talking to them about their approach, like, you know, you want to make sure that you are doing something that's going to further along the conversation instead of just, you know, complaining. And I think just not with just with fathers, but with any parent, a lot of times parents just want to be heard. Like, let me know I'm being heard and my voice being valued. I may not get what I want in the end, but at least hear my hear my side of the story, hear my complaint, hear my thing, you know, what I got an issue with. And then, you know, help me understand what the process is, because a lot of times they don't understand policy. They don't understand what took place. You know, they don't have that background knowledge that we have as educators. So not, but also not talking down to them, like you are this authoritarian figure. And, you know, because at the end of the day, they are the ones that know their child better than you do. So I think helping parents understand the approach they come with takes them a lot further in that process. Because a lot of times, you know, I don't want nobody to ever get that, that title of, you know, the, the mad black man or the mad black Mormon or whatever like that when I'm dealing with parents. So really just talking to them about with that approach because I can have that mindset with them, but then the next person that comes after me may not have that same mindset and openness. So really just trying to use every situation as a teachable moment uh, for me as well as for the parent. Yeah. Ball jumping in and Reef coming to, coming to you because I know you you approach things differently. I was, I was very similar. I, I, I 
one of the things I pride myself on is being accessible to families. And, and I know that sometimes that's not the most popular way to go as an administrator. Sometimes you try to, oh, you know, go see the counselor, go see the assistant principal and things like that. But, you know, I had situations where folks have reached out to me because I'm always out front. You know, they folks feel comfortable and and I want to be approachable. And so, you know, I, I invite folks in to have the conversations and just like I'm, I'm talking to y'all right now, that's, that's how I have a conversation. You know, I, I think one of my best gifts is, is to be a listener. And eventually folks are gonna come to, you know, whatever the conclusion or decision that they want. You know, it's just my, my responsibility is to ask good questions, ask great questions to, to get them to the spot where, you know, they're comfortable and where they're knowledgeable on what they want to be knowledgeable about. Yeah, that's what's up. Reef. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think you got to approach the, well, you just got to have like a, a worldview or outlook that, you know, parents are, are, are your partners and they're your bosses, right? Like, you, like I mean, I, I don't really think it's that, it's that deep. You know, I, I know people complicate it. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, you're not going to have a great relationship with every parent. I mean, uh, look, I, re I remember this one father, man, he would come up and demand, would demand to see his, his, his daughters. So, you know, the first time he came up, you know, of course the front desk, they look in the file and it says like, whoa, he can't have, uh, you know, mom has full custody. He can't, he can't see her. And, you know, and I, I would try to engage dad, like dad, and he's like, you keeping me for, you know, he would, he would turn all his anger and frustration towards me. Right. And I'm, it's, 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 it's like public learning, right? Like I had a choice to, to make, right? Like try to deescalate and try to listen as, as Ball said and try to be, you know, the supportive and, you know, clear, like you can't see her. And you know what, right now, this is a learning environment. You're being, you're being too loud. Let's, you know, let's come to the office. I ain't going nowhere, right? Like, I mean, so you have parents like that, but I would say like, it's such a small percentage of parents that are, over 26 years, I mean, I could, I could, I could probably count on two hands how many family, you know, parents. I was just like, yo, they were extremely challenging, you know, to um, build related. And I had some who were just like, sometimes they would love it, hug me. Sometimes they blast me. They just, I mean, it was just, it's part of the job. It's part of the work, right? You know, but what I, I don't know how many times, how often leaders are developed to, they're, they're trained to, here's the policy, here's the procedure. But like, where does a leader actually go to learn how to build relationships, mm. how to how to engage families, how to de-escalate a situation, right? Like, if I'm listen, I if I'm passionate about my you know about something, particularly my child, and I think something wrong is going on, like I'm going to be passionate about it. Like, don't tell me like what the rules are about how I feel about my daughter, you know. But how many professionals are actually? It's almost like the police, right? Like in the public, you have to train yourself to be calmer than the cop who's actually getting paid. They don't have to be calm. They don't have to be, you know, um, you know, uh, deferential or anything like that. It's all you have to do everything, you know, um, and sometimes a penalty of death. Right. And they'll just say, oh, I was afraid. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the same type of hostility within the school, like the adult, the professional. They don't have to be calm. They don't have to. You know, it's all the all the entire onus is on the frustrated parent who's coming up to check on their child and find out why is their child, why is my daughter being bullied every day at lunch? And she said that she's told multiple people, 
like, but I'm supposed to come in and, and just like real, you know, fold my hands and speak soft. Like, no, Joker, like you would give me some damn answers. Like, why is my daughter being bullied? Like, you know, we had a conversation about this. It's not changed. I want something done. Oh, you're being hostile, right? Like, and so I, I, I just wonder like how are professionals developed? You know, that's like, that's my thing now. Like how are people being developed um, emotionally, professionally, all the things. I just, I just don't know if I have, I think a lot of people are thrown in and like, hey, school starts in, in a month, <laughs> you know, like have at it. And they're trying to order books, trying to fill staff, trying to, you know, uh, get kid enrollment. I, I don't know how many are actually developed the way that we, you know, our children deserve them to be developed. You know, um, I don't know that you can, like all of you have been school leaders. So as a layperson on the outside, looking at the jobs that you all have done, as a school board member, I used to marvel at how many different jobs it actually was, right? Like you are a business manager. You are a, a boss who has to be an instructional leader. You are somebody who has to work with the district to get things out of the district that you need, be political to get things that you need from the district. Now I'm talking about district principals, principals mm-hmm. who have to deal with the district or whatnot. Right. They're actually wearing like 18 different hats in a lot of ways, you know, and I don't know how you can be good at all of them. An instructional leader is an instructional leader. A politician is a politician. A business agent is a business agent. Like somebody who can keep the trains running and keeping all that stuff going, that's a different thing. You have a parent show up on the morning that the, that the superintendent is supposed to be showing up to do some surprise visit at your school that you've heard about. And you're trying to get everything, you know, in order and blah, blah. And you didn't order enough of something for lunch or something, blah, blah, whatever. You got 18 things going on that morning and a parent shows up with the kid who's the biggest bully in the school talking about my kids being bullied. <laughs> right. Right. I'm just giving a scenario. No, listen, I gave a scenario. I mean, this scenario is fine. But you know I'm what? You a possible scenario of what might be happening <laughs> at that moment. Right? Chris, I think, I think part of what's Chris. Go ahead, dude, go ahead. Dude. I was saying, well, part of that, I think that's that's the downfall of, of leaders that fail because they feel like they do have to be good at all those different things. I, I don't, you know, I, I pride myself in being an instructional leader. You know, I, do I know, you know, how to do master schedules with the best of them? Do I know how to run, you know, the field trip program, like all that? And like, no, I don't. But I have a team that I have put in place so that I know, okay, you know what? I need Mr. Moore. I need you to make sure our master schedule lines up. Here's my priorities. Make sure our master schedule lines up with my priorities. You know, I got, you know, Miss Williams, my other assistant principal, who is a whiz. Like, she's a parent whisperer. So when I have that parent show up that morning who got the biggest bullion pissed off, hey, Miss Williams, I need you to come, you know, meet with this parent, mm-hmm. make sure they take care. Like, I don't have to be the expert and the, you know, the Superman in every aspect of marriage. I have to know where my strengths are and where my weaknesses are. And then I bring people on my team to cover up those weaknesses that I have. Smith, mm. you're, Smith hey. you're saying the opposite of how principals are trained to operate. They're trained to lead no, with ego. No. no. And, <laughs> and you can do everything. Hey, and when I say when I say that, y'all, when I say that, y'all kill me. Hey, but really quick before we uh before we carry on with the show, we got this statement right here from uh Miss Jones. She says, Sharif, you are you have a phenomenal calming tone in your voice, which is gold as a leader. You have a gift to so I wish you hadn't situation. said that because he, here come the, he gonna clown me now. So I wish you had don't listen, every our audience. Don't give no compliments my direction because that's just fuel for anchor to, to try to clown me. So don't do it. <laughs> no, I appreciate you, uh, Ms. Jones. But, you know, I, I think like what Smith said is important. Like I had, and, and Chris, this is what I mean by the training. Like, where do you go to learn how to develop a leadership team? Where do you go to do that? I mean, y'all are principals. 
all three of you were principals. Where did you go to actually learn how to like a, a methodical approach or did you learn from being on a leadership team and being in proximity of a leader? Yeah, I, I think it's more so uh, the proximity of being uh, being with leaders and then also uh, being super reflective in terms of who you are as a leader uh, and then developing your own blind spots. Like, I feel like you have to do it like a lot of self-analysis in terms of like wh- how you show up as a leader and the things that you want to get better at. And then also it's, it's what I say about teaching. Uh, you know, it, it's really, so there's differences, there's differences in terms of like how, te- how, how teachers learn and do things and how leaders learn and do things, but there's similarities. There's no summers off for me. Like I was going to find professional developments that were going to allow me to be a better principal in order for me to be a better leader. And then also, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that made me a better leader was when I started uh, listening to hear people as opposed to listening to respond to people. And then also um, uh, when I came to the realization that I didn't have every answer and that it was OK for me not to have every answer and that I would get back to you. Like when I learned how to say, hey, I don't know this, but let me get back to you. Man, I became a good leader. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I'll jump in because for me, I grew up with leadership. Like I went to went to college to become a leader. So when I got into education, I wait, man, wait, 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 man, because you be because you be underselling this, man. Tell these people where you went to college, man. <laughs> so so I so I went to West Point. You know, I went to I went to school to become an officer in the army. Uh, the, you know, the country decided to invest a bunch of money in me. Uh, and, you know, they sent, sent me to the Middle East a couple of times as a result. But, uh, you know, that that whole from, you know, from 18 to 25, you know, I was in leadership roles. I was learning how to be a leader. I was learning how to rely on my team and all those different things that Smitty was talking about. When I came into education, I was like, waiting, who's who's going to who's coaching me up? Because one of the reasons I became a, a principal is because I saw my I saw my principal my first three years. I saw them six times outside of the office and in my classroom only due to my evaluation. So I was not developed as a, as a young teacher and I was horrible. I apologize to my first three years of students because I was <laughs> terrible and I had to be reflective and realize Dude, if you're going to get any better, you got to take your summers and you got to do work on the nights and, and the weekends and learn this craft. And then, you know, when I decided I was going to get into admin, I had to do the exact same thing. I joined, you know, the uh, NASSP and went to the conferences and just did all those types of things. I had to invest in me because no one else was. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate. And I've been in some really good districts, but if I wasn't taking the initiative, you know, folks folks weren't doing that as part of our our culture and you know I, again I go back to my assistant principal Ms. Norris who take a, took over as principal like I was intentional about things that we did in order to get her in the position to where she was ready like I, I can't take a bunch of credit for it but there were opportunities that, that were there and I said look you need to do this in order for the, to be the, the next step so that you're ready for the next step well, Smitty, man, you at all these conferences, man. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what contributed to your learning, man? You the middle school principal of the year. Uh, uh, close this out, and then we're going to final thoughts. 
Uh, for me, I mean, it was, it was, I'm, I'm going to talk about three things. One, um, I, I learned kind of like ball from a lot of the principals that came before me that I served under who just weren't good. Like, you know, I wanted to basically not do what they did. I mean, my first principal, at, um, the, my first year teaching, like I saw her, my first conversation with her was the last week of school when I told her I wasn't coming back the next year. Um, that was the one and only conversation I ever had with her. And she was the principal of the building. Um, so just really being around a lot of leaders. And then I had, you know, the couple that I did have that, had good traits. I wanted to kind of take those traits and, and, you know, put them into me when I became a leader. The second thing was my first year, I had the opportunity to be a part of the uh, Leadership Academy with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education here in Missouri, um, where it was 150 administrators from across Missouri. Um, and we had a lot of different professional developments. We went on a couple of different retreats and really just they talked about kind of developing that team. And then the third thing was just trial by fire. You know, my first year, um, I went through some adversity. You know, I, I was a principal during, you know, that went into the COVID year. My second year, I had some issues with both of my assistant principals um, that really kind of taught me, you know, more about how to build a team and making sure you have people on your team that believed in your vision, that wanted to kind of run with your vision. Um, but I, I don't really think that there is a systematic way. I, I just don't feel like there's a systematic way of developing a team. I think a lot of it is just trial by fire. But I, and the last thing I just want to say is a lot of transparency and vulnerability on your part as a leader to say, what what are my deficits? Where am I coming up short in? And how do I fill those gaps, whether it be getting professional development, going to a conference, or hiring somebody on your team that can kind of help you in that area? Um, but until you have that piece where you can self-reflect and be a reflective practitioner, you're never going to develop as a good leader. Yeah, that's dope. All right, so... Man, I'm grateful for the show, man. I'm always grateful every Sunday when we're able to uh, speak wisdom to folks and 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 uh, also get wisdom from each other. And so we're going to closing thoughts. Uh, Reef, we'll start with you, sir. No, listen, I'm always uh, happy to see you know um, you know practitioners in action and hear you know hear from them. So you know, shout out to Charleston, South Carolina, where we just uh, came with you know live show and the E3 group. Um, and the work that they're doing, you know, really, you know, just just thrilled like there's educators all around the country who are trying to do their absolute best, who are not just winging it. They're actually having being deliberate, being thoughtful, um, developing each other, holding each other accountable uh, to make sure that like, there are better outcomes for, you know, for kids. And so I, I'm just I, I think it's incredible. Oh, I had mentioned like I, I got to. I was I was so happy to be able to sit with the prince. He's 72 years old now. Right. And so, you know, he hired me, um, you know, 30 years ago and to be able to, to sit with him. And, you know, and every time I, I, I get with him, you know, when he's in when I go to Charleston, just try to pick his brain some more. Like, I feel like I'm still learning from like, how did he think about it? How did you know? what about these situations and how did he go through it? And, and, you know, like educators like that, who are these veterans who are retired and, you know, they like, they're pouring so much, continue to pour so much into us who are, you know, continuing to develop as in, in our leadership and our different roles. Um, and I'm just grateful for the leaders that actually reach down and, and develop other leaders, not the, you know, some of the leaders that who told me, they were like, yo, just keep your head down. Don't make any noise. Stay off the radar. Um, and then there are others like, no, be bold, be humble, you know, and and be thoughtful. Right. And so I, I'm just grateful. I want to shout out, you know, Charles Chuck Delfonso um, and Yvonne Savior, you know, two two of the many people that just poured into me. So shout out to leadership, man, just leadership, leadership, leadership. Yeah. Chris. 
Um, so years ago, I ran an organization called the African American Leadership Forum. And in that forum, there were educators, there were school leaders, there were politicians, there were grandmas, grandpas. It was a mix of community folks at all level that wanted to put together an agenda around education, health, criminal justice, multiple different areas of, of life uh, that was important to us. And in education, pulling together the Black educators and the school leaders who were running schools, uh, like our two guests tonight, who were running schools worth looking at and were educating Black children, they, they formed a committee with the community and sat at a, at a table for a long period of time. Some things came out of that, a couple of reports where everybody had some shared understanding. It was uh, really revitalizing for me because they were teaching us as things went along, some of the main ingredients that went into good schooling. And one of them was a strong educational leader who has a coherent educational philosophy, who is able to pick his own team, his or her, I should say, own team, who is also only hired if they're bought into the coherent educational philosophy of the building, right? So this is what we started learning, like these are the building blocks to a great school. And that very first one, uh, you know, an educational leader who has a coherent educational philosophy tripped up a lot of schools. It was, it was, it was, it was job one. So we can blame teachers, we can blame students, parents, we can blame a lot of different things. But I had one educator said to me, you know, uh, the pack goes at the uh, at the pace of their leader, right? And she used to say it to me a lot. And I, I didn't really catch with where she was going with it. But basically, great teachers want to work for great leaders who can block and tackle and make their lives uh, orderly and as easy as possible to do their job. And that's not something that, that's not a situation all educators are having right now. And unfortunately, I think to what Dr. Smith was saying, when the district that I was a school board member in was looking at building a pipeline of great principals, educational leaders, who could be that leader in the building, they had a lot of trouble. They, they learned a lot of like what we don't know. We, we've talked a lot about teacher evaluation, teacher preparation, teacher induction, whatnot. We have not nearly talked as much about school building leaders, where they come from, how you train them, uh, what's the science behind creating good ones who can create that coherent educational uh, uh, philosophy. Um, anyways, yeah. that, that, that's my final final thought. It's 100,000 yeah. 100, public school principals. And we're always talking about the 3.7 million teachers. If you can't get that 100,000 right, they get all fit in Penn State Stadium. Philly, 300 schools, that means they can fit in the elementary school auditorium. If you can't get that right, don't, like, forget it. <laughs> Wave the white flag. <laughs> you ain't getting the 3.7. Like, it's just ridiculous. Wow. Hey, Chris, that was powerful, man. Bars. Uh, Smitty, you up next. Uh, just my final thought, I thought just, you know, appreciation. Um, it was back in, uh, wow, February 2020. Um, I went to an ESSA conference down in Atlanta. Uh, where Charles was keynoting and got a chance to kind of meet him and talk to him. And, you know, he was the one that put me on to the eight black hands. Um, and a lot of my development as a leader has came through, you know, listening to the eight black hands. Um, uh, I'm going to be honest. A lot of it is to make sure that I'm doing things so that Chris don't be trying to come for me because he has <laughs> a way of doing that. Uh, but, you know, you know, look, look, watching people like Sharif and, you know, Ray, who has opened up, you know, different opportunities and doors for me. Um, I just want to, you know, my, my final thought is just a truly appreciation for the opportunity that the hands have given me as a school leader. Um, and I think played a part in also me being 
uh, principal year here in uh, Kansas City. So I just want my, my final thought, just a shout out and appreciation to y'all. Yeah. Hey, Kefeli, if you if you if you watching, man, we got ball up here, man. Blue Ribbon, he's the only one from the show that hasn't been on your show, man. So let's get it. Oh, Mr. Ball, sir. Appreciate you, Smitty. So uh, I got to express similar appreciation for uh, for this podcast. I think um, Chris mentioned earlier about, you know, being a parent and how that really changed him and his focus on education. I think that uh, when I became a parent, uh, that really changed me as an educator. And I really has empathy for, for the teach for students, for the parents um, that were sending their kids, to sending, sending us their best, as uh, Smitty said. So um, I'm currently reading um, The Maroon Within Us by Dr. Mm-hmm. Asa G. Hillier III. Um, and I know that a lot of the things that y'all talk about on the show is about parents. And so um, he, he has a, a section in here about parents and what we as African-American parents need to do for our children. So if y'all would just allow me to read these things, I think it's important. I've been really reflecting on these things as well. Also, he says, first, uh, parents must study and know themselves, history and culture. Two, parents must model the behavior that is expected of their children. Three, parents must expose their children to the widest variety of experiences possible. systematically and critically. For parenting is a large group process among African-Americans in the past, not a couple process. It has and should involve relatives and friends. Five, parenting means involving children in the real world of work and play, joy and pain and truth. Six, parenting means participation by parents and children in organized groups that serve the interests of the larger group. Seven, parenting means giving children responsibilities and holding them responsible. Eight, parenting means listening well to what children think and feel. And nine, parenting means telling and retelling the story of one's people to the children so that they may experience continuity and know how to be. Mm. Appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. And so my final thought, man, I'm, I'm going to... Uh... Man, I want to I want to actually dedicate this show uh, to, uh, to to Elaine Williams, right? So when I when I came from Covington, Louisiana, after I got into trouble, I moved up to Monticello, New York, right, upstate New York. Uh, didn't know any anyone, right? Um, met a couple of friends, and then through this friend, I met his mom, and she was so amazing. And uh, and she 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 left us um, um, this last week, and uh, she had eight kids, eight college graduates. Uh, two of them became lawyers, one doctor in education, one's a nurse. And she was just phenomenal uh, to, to the town of Monticello. Um, man, just like a, a, a warrior activist, NAACP, everything you name, you know, she was always fighting for us in order for us to get the best. And so if you have uh, folks in your community that are pouring into you the way that uh, Ms. Williams poured into us, make sure you're honoring them uh, when they're on earth. So that's my final thought. So you I guys have been listening to the community, bro. That's uh, yeah, it leaves quite a legacy. That should definitely does. All right, you've been listening to another episode of the Eight Black Hands podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>